Hey, anyone ever tell you you look like you need a new insurance broker? Well, in case you do, I know just the guy you can trust. Whether it's home, car, or business insurance, Fetty Camel is your guy. All risk insurance brokers Aaron Mills is your one-stop shop today to protect your property and liability. To reach the guys at All Risk, either call 905-820-5252 or email at f like Fetty, Camel K A M E L at all-risks.com to get a free quote today. That's 905-820-5252 or fcamel at all-risks.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lion's Den podcast. This is episode number 21. I'm your host, Fatty, and uh, today with me is a very, very interesting individual. I um, only got a chance to, to meet this person very recently, but every single person I've spoken to since starting this podcast especially coming from uh, the Toronto side has been like, yo, you got to talk to, you got to talk to this guy. You got to talk to this guy. It's super interesting. So uh, without further ado, everyone, I want you to meet my next guest, Mr. Rami Ratas. How are you, sir? Thanks so much, Fadi. Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And, and uh, what a undeserving uh, warm welcome here. <laughs> no worries at all, man. How you been? How's, uh, how's the last couple months been? Uh, how's quarantine been? What's, what's your summer like? Or what was your summer like? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's been a, 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 an interesting time, uh, I guess, uh, great in many ways and, and challenging in many ways. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm very used to working remotely and, and, uh, and, and uh, so that's that hasn't hit as much and even our organization is very used to that. But I'm, yeah. I'm also used to traveling quite a lot and, and none of that's happened uh, for work or, or leisure. Um, so that's that's been interesting. But uh, on the bright side, it's it's been uh it's been great. Uh, recently married in, in the past year or so, so got a lot of time Congratulations. To, to connect and, and uh, spend a lot of time together, which has been awesome. Uh, what better way to, to enjoy the you know the, the first year together? Yeah, absolutely. And congratulations to you. I actually um, you got you got married around the same time that I did. I was September eighth of last year. Yeah, so, yeah, quite quite close. Uh, yes, yeah, so I uh, I definitely understand what what it was like that first year, really getting. To, to spend a lot of time together which is a it's a huge blessing so uh good good to hear so you you said you traveled did you travel more for work or for leisure what's uh what would you say the percentage is yeah i i uh, I, I did quite a bit of travel for uh, work over the past number of years uh probably uh probably was on about you know 40 40 flights a year or so across the country oh, wow so quite, quite a bit of travel in canada and and uh so it, it was uh definitely a huge uh, a huge change uh to, to the lifestyle for sure and did you do you say it's uh, more domestic travel like within canada yeah yeah for, for okay, work okay. purposes uh, gotcha. primarily inside canada yes yes of course okay cool so uh let's just get started so what is the current position that you hold rami what do you do right now yeah, so I uh, we operate a, a, a logics group of companies, which uh, is, is a focus really on the development of digital literacy skills and digital transformations for individuals and organizations. Uh, logics Academy, which is our main brand and primary brand, uh, uh, is is really focused on uh, kindergarten to grade twelve STEM robotics and coding education, developing. Uh, really needs uh, solutions for both the classroom and the home uh, to help in the development of, of children 
Uh, and Logix Technology uh, is, is a more recent brand, uh, is really focused on uh, commercial organization-wide implementation and training uh, and support of, of modern workplaces uh, and, and technology needed for uh, the remote world uh, we're all operating in. Yeah, and that's very interesting. I think digital literacy is extremely important for a lot of people to learn. And, and a lot of my coworkers and my wife is a teacher as well with Peel. And um, I know that they're starting to teach kids this at a younger age now and implement it in the younger age curriculum, which I think is super important. Um, it's it's a very sought out skill right now. And if I could go back, I wish I could learn coding at that younger or even just digital literacy in, in general, you know, whatever that, you know, encompasses. So I think it's very important to do that. And um, I guess let's let's rewind a little bit and, and see how you got to this path. So what did you do in school? Uh, yeah, so I, I uh, studied uh, engineering at uh, University of Toronto, and I specialized in um, in a program called Mechatronics, uh, which is kind of a mix of uh, mechanical, electrical, and, and uh, software. Interesting. So Mechatronics sounds extremely, like it, it, the word itself sounds very robotic. Yeah, it, it sounds is, absolutely nerdy, do doesn't it? Absolutely geek, <laughs> uh, you know, geek special. It sounds here. extremely interesting, extremely challenging, that's for sure. Can you explain what mechatronics is just a little bit in detail for because I personally don't really know what it is that much. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the, the, the core of it is is uh, really the integration intersection of, of, of mechanical, uh, electrical and, and computer systems. And, and uh, so robotics is definitely a core to it. Uh, and that's why I went into it. Uh, that's kind of what where, where my passion uh, started from or, or kind of the spark all happened. And yeah. Um, and it's it's a more recent specialization um, that you know identified that historically in engineering there was the very core mechanical, the very core electrical, and, and very core uh, computer software. And and uh, so universities started uh, identifying based on industry demand that there needed to be folks who who know how to integrate these systems uh, and and look at uh, understanding a more holistic view on an integrated solution. Uh, and and so that's kind of where it uh, sprung from. Very cool, man. And um, you said that you had a passion for this heading into this. So when did the passion really start for this career path and how did it start? Yeah, yeah. So it was really a, a neat experience. Uh, you know, like I'm sure many folks in, in the community, I, I grew up in a very uh, healthcare centric family. Uh, uh, <laughs> and and uh, so growing up, you know, all my uh, my my books and my dreams and desires were to, to grow up and be a doctor. Um, you know, uh, growing up with a, with a family of, of healthcare providers, that's, uh, kind of what I was, uh, thought I'd do. And, yes. um, it, it wasn't until actually I, in, in uh, grade 12, I, I got involved with, uh, a program. It was a, it was a school team. Uh, it was a robotics team that had just started. It was an initiative that just started, uh, actually by something in the States and came to Canada. It was, it was called First Robotics. It was started by Dean Kamen, who founded the Segway. Uh, he, he actually recently passed away, but uh, his his idea was to bring the excitement and the hype and the 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 joy and the of, of American football into into science, tech, engineering, and math into the STEM fields into this robotics to make to make geek mm. cool again. And and so I joined this team in grade twelve. It was just starting. Uh, I was fortunate enough that my school was one of the few schools in Canada that that had a teacher that took that on as a volunteer role. And I just absolutely loved it. I, I really had a conversation with that teacher who happened to be an engineer himself and uh, was had switched into education. I said, 
you know, this is super cool. This is what I want to do. Uh, get my hands involved into real projects. It's kind of like, you know, if you've done sports, you enjoy that team setting of competitions and traveling and, and being part of a team. But this was all tech-based. So it had all those aspects of sports and mascots and, and, and sponsorship and everything like that. But your output wow. was was like really cool um, devices that, that you got to take on tasks with. And so he recommended I do engineering. And, and that was that in grade 12 after having receive my my life sciences you know kind of acceptance into university already i switched gears applied into engineering and uh, that was that that's pretty crazy dude i didn't know it was that late grade 12 that's like you're right there <laughs> that's a that's a game winner yeah like that, yeah. that right at the buzzer you made that switch and i want to know in a family of healthcare providers how did that blow over well, you know, I, I got to say my, uh, you know, my parents, God bless them. They're, they're extremely supportive individuals. And, and I would say I've, I've always had kind of the knack for, for, uh, taking things apart and, 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 and being sort of enjoying the, the gadgets. And, and, uh, yeah. uh I, I would say actually my, my dad's kind of got a, a tech inspiration as well, even though he's in healthcare. So I think he's always, uh, inspired us. I, I think, uh, very, very early on. I remember as a very young child, we had one of the, very early computers where we learned typing on a, a black screen with orange letters <laughs> dropping from the ceiling and, and, and playing these games to teach us how to type. Um, and, and, uh, so I think th they were extremely supportive and they knew that, uh, it was something, uh, it was something that I, I really enjoyed. They saw the, the commitment and hours I put into that, you know, kind of a voluntary team that I think they knew, Hey, if, if this yeah. is something he's passionate about, he'll, uh, It'll, it'll sure lead into something that's so worthwhile. That's really, really cool, man. And honestly, you mentioned something earlier about a teacher of yours that, uh, that you know, they started out, they were engineer, and then they had uh, switched into education. And I, up until a month ago, did not even know that this was common. And then I, in the last month, I kid you not, I met three people who are engineers who either have made the switch or are pursuing the switch. I actually had one of them on my podcast I haven't released it as of right now, but it'll come out soon. But that is very interesting. And and I want to know because I saw that you had actually started a tutoring business in your undergrad. Um, would you consider that teaching is is that a passion that you have? Is that like an underlying passion, uh, you know, mixed with your passion for mechatronics? You know, it's a yeah, it's an interesting question, Paddy. I definitely think that I I I truly value the the notion of of learning, of lifelong learning. So I think uh, for myself, I, I would say it's uh, I I just find I find joy personally in in seeing when and working with others and seeing when that kind of that aha moments or the light bulb moments where people are able to figure things out for themselves, um, and and not necessarily just kind of the the transmission of of, of information or. or uh, you know, that in, in, you know, true in old terminology of teaching, but, uh, I, I definitely love, uh, connecting with others, chatting with others and, and collaborating. And I think that's all very, very important in, in today's environment for teaching. So, uh, you know, from a tutoring perspective, I had done a ton of tutoring myself when I was in high school, tutoring, mm -hmm. you know, friends and things like that, just for fun. Um, at one point we hope we started a whole church service around tutoring and, and then, uh, and then in university, ended up making it into kind of a, a side gig uh, and, and a business that, that helped uh, helped with financing quite a bit. Uh, we ended up growing a team. I think we had about 50 uh, 
teachers on on in this little startup uh going wow. around tutoring subjects from engineering to accounting business and science wow. across campus very cool so it's kind of cool very cool man so you were business-minded from the get-go this isn't something that you, you didn't just wake up one day and you're like yo let's start a business like you had this mentality in you did you ever uh as a kid so i had a guest on who was like man in high school like i was the guy who was selling stuff out of my locker like you know i i would buy blackberries off kijiji and resell so it's like i knew i had a business mindset that early did you have a moment at all like in your early years where you're like i definitely want to open a business or i want to be my own boss one day did you ever have that moment or was that something that you had come across later on i i have to admit i i don't even think i knew what starting a business meant when I was younger or, or being my own boss or, yeah, um, for sure. I, I think I, I kind of always like to figure things out for myself and, and, uh, you know, I always enjoyed doing multiple things at the same time and, and exploring ways to, you know, yeah. find efficiencies. And so I, I, you know, I had many, uh, side hustles so you, you can call them that in, in in high school and university days and <laughs> trying to figure out ways to you know uh i think back then it was just even make money uh primarily yeah, it wasn't for even sure. for a purpose other than hey this is a interesting way to pay money or make money and and, and yeah. you know pay for life on my own and be independent um but Absolutely. no i i don't think um i don't think i really had that uh, knowledge education or uh, even to be honest, experience like m none of the folks in my family, I, I didn't have like a, you know, a business role model or anything like that, that I saw really closely that uh, was there all along. I, I think it was primarily just, uh, you know, doing things for other reasons and then stumbling upon the business. Actually, how we even started our company sure. was a, a funny way. We, we didn't go through the the startup canvas or model that you, you, you know, you, we would do today if, if we were starting a business. That's interesting, man, and I'm I'm eager to learn more about that. But uh, right after school, you had finished your engineering degree. You know, you finished your years at U of T, which you know, kudos to you getting through U of T engineering. Every single person I know who did U of T engineering, kudos to all of you guys for getting through it. I hear it's very tough and uh, strenuous, but uh, it's it's very rewarding in the end. Um, and you found your way into OPG Ontario Power Generation, which is a uh, it's it's a government corporation. Um, so first off, can you just tell us what it was like working for the government and working for OPG? Um, what did you enjoy about your time there and like the lessons you learned and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll tell you, uh, it, it was actually an interesting time uh, parallel of a couple of things. So I had done a, a part of my uh, engineering degree. I had done a couple of uh, co-op opportunities and, and one of them actually uh, started at uh at OPG through a, a referral of a friend and, and, and told me, informed me about it. And it was a, a specific group there. Uh, so in Ontario Power Generation focuses on an electricity and, and energy generation for, for the province, uh, for those who don't know. And, and uh, I, I was working with a group uh, focused actually in on uh, robotics inspection for uh, the nuclear reactors. So uh, in, in, in the nuclear reactors, which we have uh, several of in Ontario, how we generate quite a bit of electricity in the province. Yes. Um, yeah. and there are areas, as you can imagine, in the reactor that, uh, you know, are not easily accessible but for individuals or not safe to, to reach by individuals. So this group was uh, tasked for, and, and, and quite a, a cutting edge group, actually, um, that worked on development and design of, of tools and robotics equipment that would go into parts of the reactor and do 
uh, inspections to make sure the reactor was safe. So what I always used to like to, to joke around, it was kind of like we're putting uh, ultrasounds and, 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 and eddy current and other inspection technology on remote yeah. control cars. So imagine, <laughs> imagine the, you know, if, if uh, any, you know, anyone's gone through a, a pregnancy and ultrasound tool and, uh, and, and putting that on a remote control toy and, and, and putting it into a reactor, much more complicated yeah. and bureaucratic and, and, you know, safety around that was a lot more, I'm, I'm obviously oversimplifying, but uh, that course, was the of idea course. there of, of the work. So that, that just excited me. I thought it was super cool to, to do something that was um, uh, really cutting edge in terms of the technology, but also um, very different. Uh, so I did that as yeah. a co-op term. I, I absolutely loved the work, but uh, I, I had that in the back of my mind as, as, you know, always a challenge of this whole idea of the, the, the government job and is it limiting uh, versus, you know, pursuing other opportunities. Back then it wasn't even my own business, but more so it was pursuing uh, other type of uh, engineering and consulting work and opportunities that I had on the plate at that time. Interesting. And, um, was that your first, I guess, like work or professional experience in robotics? Because you did have the the class you mentioned in grade 12 or the voluntary team that you had. But with this, was this like the first time in actual work where you were essentially dealing with robotics? Because that sounds pretty, like pretty cool, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, you know, the story was, so after did the first robotics stuff in, in high school, uh, entered University of T and then uh, we actually ended up uh, kind of uh, founding and, and helping start a, an organization or club called the University of Toronto Robotics Association, which I'm one of the, to be honest, one of the most proud things of accomplishments. It's grown to a massive association at UFT today with wow. hundreds and hundreds of students. It's part of student levy. So they get funding of every tuition of every student that goes in, travels across participated in like, I don't know if you've ever saw battle bots, you know, the show where, where they had robots in a ring, like uh, a, a battle where they competed. I think I've seen other. something like this. Yeah. So, yeah I've seen something like that for participated sure. Participated in that like three years in a row, won gold medal in, in North America. Uh, wow. And so that was a really cool experience, but like you said, all volunteer. And then I switched over um, and ended up actually working in uh, research quite a bit. So I did work for a company in Toronto um, that did uh, research for, um, military uh, robotic devices. So it was actually for the U.S. military and army to d for bomb disposal purposes. So that was kind of my first yeah. gig, and then uh, and then shifted over to work at Princess Margaret Hospital, where brought back some of that medical, and we were doing uh, um, development of tools for prostate cancer actually, and it was to automate prostate cancer surgical procedures or to improve them being done inside of an MRI, which is a uh, a scanning mechanism. Um, and, and the idea there was how do we bring in tools to help uh, surgeons automate that process um, and, and, and the safety associated with it and, and being able to work inside an MRI has some really technical challenges because you can't have uh, metal in there or some specific uh, metals in there. So that, that was sure. kind of a first uh, gig of, of, of employment and work um, as, as uh, you know, as a student, as a student still, and then as research later on. Um, but OPG was definitely the, I, I would say after graduating, going back, that was the first time, you know, that was a, a successful or I should say a, a, a more of a full-time committed, uh, employment opportunity. And, and yeah. so I, I would say I was lucky, um, that I, I didn't, to be honest with you, I, I never actually ended up creating a resume. So people, I always joke with, with folks about this <laughs> until today, I, I haven't actually created a resume since, uh, since university, 
um, wow. because I went from one rolled into another with just through referrals and network and, and not really applying, uh, in, in the traditional form. Sure. That's uh that's a, that's definitely a luxury, man. Don't, you're not missing out. I'll tell you that <laughs> you're not, you're not missing out at all. So, uh, you spent around, I think it was five, six years at OPG. And for anyone who doesn't really know government corporations, there's a lot of stability, uh, with those types of jobs, whether it be long-term employment stability, post-employment stability, financial stability, all in all, it's just very stable, right? It's consistent. It, it pays. It pays more than the bills. Like it, it does pretty well, but obviously you don't get the you know the freedom of if you're your own boss, your own business. You know that uncapped financial freedom, but it's still quite the decision to leave a job like that especially to go into something where you're really unsure so i want to know before we get into you know the decision to actually pursue the business when you thought about leaving did that was that in the back of your mind like am i what am i doing here am i really sure that i want to you know leave a job that has this kind of stability for an unsure opportunity uh, you know, absolutely. I, I think you, you, you couldn't have worded better. I, I think, uh, you know, it, it was an interesting time in my life, I would say for sure. Um, and, and again, I, I, as I alluded to earlier, I, I don't think we had a, you know, at that time, a solid business plan. Uh, it was just more, uh, kind of a rollover of our passion and we were doing some work in, in, uh, for, for in education and in, in tech education, uh, kind of for fun <laughs> during vacations and holidays. Um, and by, by no means, I mean, joining a, a company like that at a young age. Um, I mean, I think I started there when I was 21, 22, um, and, and quickly, you know, um, moved along in the company, you know, at a young age, doing very well financially and, you know, something more than I, like you said, more than you need with high stability sure. and, and all the benefits and perks and, you know, comfortable hours. I, you know, playing tons of sports with all the teams that you could imagine because you're out of the office at, you know, 3.30, 4 p.m. Yeah. With, with the whole evening yeah. free to yourself. So <laughs> um, that that was really, you're right, really, really cool. And, and there were so many aspects, not even to begin to, to think about, you know, it was finally, I think, in my parents' eyes or family's eyes or culture's eyes, that's kind of your goal, right? You you, you work for the government. I guess that's a cultural satisfaction that it's the, that stability brings on, yeah. you know, kind of why, yeah. why you go to school in the first place. You get a stable job and, and you work there for life, uh, which exactly. is kind of a, a mindset in, 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 in cultural and, and other generations. Um, yeah. So it, it was definitely on my mind and it was definitely one of the most uh, uh, challenging decisions uh, I've, I've had to make. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I bet you, I don't even know what it was like for you, but I bet you in the meeting, they were probably thinking like, what? Like, you're leaving this? What? These guys have probably been there like 40, 50 years, like have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, it, It's definitely like I can't even begin to imagine, you know, the, the stress around making a decision like that and uh, leaving, you know, a company with that kind of stability. But talk to me about where the business was at when you left so was it an idea had you started it before and sort of started to grow it while you were working where was it at when you decided to make that move yeah to to roll back a couple of years there so while we were at the university we had uh, done quite a bit of work uh, like i mentioned in robotics competitions and, and team yes, for, yes. for university 
uh, we then ended up starting the idea of, of onboarding and doing events and, and programs for high school students. So trying to give back to the organization that inspired me, we started something to, where we had sent all these university students to high schools and helped them start their own teams and, and be mentors across the province. And, and that was really cool for, for, for university students to give back. Uh, and then uh, we kind of noticed that this is all great for uh, high school students, for grade 11 and 12 but I reflected back kind of on my own journey and I said, man, what would have been like if I had actually got inspired and learned about these, uh, this technology, this interest that now I've, I've all of a sudden got my hands on and, and, and these cool opportunities, but at a younger age. And why, why are these skills not taught as young as elementary school? Why is it only at a high school level? And, and that's kind of where we, as students, still approach the university, kind of said, hey, we should do programs for elementary students. And, you know, again, no business mindset. It was more voluntary and out of interest and passion. Uh, the university wasn't keen or interested on, in it. They, they were focused on kind of, you know, promoting entry into engineering and sciences sure, in, in yeah. high school. Um, mm-hmm. So they said, no, that's, that's not part of our focus or vision. So as, as a bunch of students, we just said, okay. Uh, well, we'll do this on our own, and and we your loss. Up, yeah, well, we we didn't again didn't think of it that way. We were disappointed because we didn't have the infrastructure around it. But sure, we ended up yeah. just going around and and connecting with private schools and and uh, running summer camps and after school clubs and all these kinds of things for for young children to promote the notion and the, and the knowledge of robotics and coding, um, and 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 get them excited at a young age. And and again, this was. You know, uh, we're, we're talking as early as uh, early 2000, like 2000 to, to 2009. So and and uh, so during that those years, uh, it wasn't as common as it is today uh, for, for those age groups. Um, and, and so that kind of inspired it. Uh, we did not mu- we didn't do much because during then we started working uh, and actually Funny enough, we, we had I had connected with someone in, in the healthcare space who was interested on in doing some work in, in healthcare education. And, and we ended up taking on this big project with SickKids Hospital to promote knowledge of medical robotic devices and development uh, for high school students still. Uh, and and uh, during that program, we ended up having a check. Uh, and we said, oh, we got to deposit that check somewhere. So we need to start a, yeah. a bank account. And, and we ended up starting a company uh logics and 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 ended up uh depositing for the sake the money of cashing there, a check for the sake of okay. cashing a check without a real business plan or anything and and that was the early years right when we first started and from mm-hmm. then for a couple of years it was pretty uh stagnant we, we hadn't done much we were just doing these one-off programs during our holidays and vacations and you know it, it was it was more of a passion than it was a business um and and it was fun but it wasn't really operating so Really what made me, what sparked that decision was at a time in my life when the business, or when I should say that we were taking on more initiatives and more projects and seeing opportunities while working the day job uh, in something that was interesting. But at the same time, I was actually facing some decisions at work to uh, kind of move up in the organization. Uh, and, and that led to further commitment. Uh, and, and so I kind of was at a point where I said, I feel like I'm I'm doing two things not fully committed in one or the other and and I needed to I felt that I needed to make a decision to make one or the two very successful and and so I uh I took some time and and that's where all the decision making was happening you know should I yeah. leave and leave the stability or 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 enjoy it and pursue it for life and I was young I I didn't have a lot of responsibilities or commitments so I said if I'm going to do it this is the time to do it and and so course, I uh, 
jumped in with uh, both feet and and here we are today that's a that's a great story and i and i think it's just man like it's so hard for for people and and you talk about it you kind of make it sound a lot easier than it is way more elegant like hey i just you know one day you know decided to transition but like i know for a fact you know it was such a challenging time in your life and decision to make and it probably I would assume you made made up your mind and unmade up your mind like 30 times before you officially, you know, decided to pull the trigger. And I I honestly like what I want to know from you is did you ever feel like you were, you know, doing your business a disservice by keeping your day job and also doing that? Did you feel like you owed it to yourself to put more time into the business um, because of how much work you've put into it is is that what went into your decision? Because I, I sometimes feel like like that with a lot sure. of things, but it's like I, I just need to find a way to, to monetize it. Like for podcasting, for example, like I can do so many things if I had more time, but it's like I need to find, you know, find a plan and have it more concrete. But I definitely feel that sentiment of I owe it to myself to see this thing through. Did you think like that too? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you, you're – you couldn't be more correct in my mind at that time. You know, we at that time we had a, a few staff, um, and and they were working, and and you know, the, the structure needed some leadership, and and I wasn't giving it my all. I, I was working, you know, during the day and kind of would head out and then work again in the evenings uh, on on this business. But by no means was I doing it justice to put together a solid plan, a solid team, uh, and and to grow. I mean, for those who gone through the the startup life it's it's very committal Uh, and and if if, you know if you want it to be successful you you kind of dedicate your time to it and and not to say that it's you know just number of hours and sheer hours it's more about um the the ability to even think and brainstorm and 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 to have that creative freedom needs your mind to be at ease at at many times and and to even collaborate with friends so I, i felt like i was doing myself uh you know i wasn't giving myself the the opportunity to really grow something that's there and available. Um, the folks that were, you know, the few folks that we had on staff at that time, it wasn't, um, I didn't feel like it was appropriate to just kind of hook them on for something that was, was uncertain or didn't have a clear vision. And, and at the same time, it was also becoming more and more apparent to me through some of the projects we were doing early on that there's such a demand for this. And, and uh, you know, reflecting on that today, seeing where that, you know, you, you see uh, all levels of government across all countries talking about the need for for digital literacy education today, and and that those those green lights weren't there, uh, you know, years ago when we started. But I, sure, you could yeah. see it, the hunger and the need at the ground floor from uh, you know from uh, students, from parents, from educators, yeah. from industry uh, looking for those skills. Yeah, and what a great time to have. 10 plus years under your belt when it's a whole initiative now, right? Because there's probably so many people who are looking to start the businesses, but hey, we're already here. We've been here. We know what we're doing. So um, that's definitely, it's it's great timing on your part. Um, I had a U of T engineer on here before, Mark, uh, Startup Life, Kepler. I think you know Mark Michael. I, I know Mark very well. Yeah, we were in uh, yes. school in a similar time. Yes, yes. He he did mention that to me. And he, he was telling me one thing, and, and that thing was really profound to me because I, I totally agree with this. And he said the way that we started the business, because he was pursuing his PhD at the time, and um, 
the partner, I think Mina had approached him and said, and him and the other people that were involved and said, listen, we're either all in or you're all out. Like there's no, it's a hundred percent or zero percent. And we got to commit now. And everyone had, a, you know, one guy was doing his PhD and one guy was, you know, pursuing, you know, in a different position in a, in a job in a long-term job, whatever the case was. And you have to just come to an agreement to just jump all in. Did you at the time, because you had started this with, it sounded like a group of people, were all of you on that same page? And how important is it to be surrounded by people who have that same drive for you, especially in a time when you're not actually making money? Yeah, absolutely. When, uh, you know, when we first started doing this for fun, uh, there were three of us. Um, and, uh, and, and absolutely, it was clear from the beginning, uh, kind of, who, who was doing it as a, as a side hobby, as a passion, uh, and who was looking to pursue it further. And, and, um, two of us really pursued this further and, and we both decided to, to give it our all. So we both ended up, uh, you know, leaving our, our full-time jobs and, and, uh, committing to this, to, to really make sure the, the business grows, but also to, to pursue something that we felt was a real need in society and, and something that could benefit, uh, you know, kind of generations to come uh you know it by no means is it uh is it uh taking satellites to space but we we hope we can spark uh, a future mina or a future mark and in, 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 yeah, in one absolutely. of these kids hey your graduates might be the ones sending those satellites <laughs> into space so that that's that's dope in itself but uh, uh i want to hear from you because i know we've talked you know a fair bit about it so people probably understand but if you could just put it in a sentence what does logics academy do what do you guys What's the service that you provide and, and what do you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Logics has, uh, we, we kind of have three uh, main uh, goals. At, at our core, we're a team of educators, engineers um, that develop uh, software, hardware, uh, curriculum, and training solutions. Uh, and, and we deploy it through a number of ways. So our, our primary way, which is how we started, were really experiences and programs for students. And that's, you know, think your, uh, your karate, your swimming, your chess clubs, your, uh, but now uh, robotics and coding and tech clubs uh, for students. And, and we deliver that primarily through actually uh, school networks. So we have partnerships with school districts where we, we go in and co-teach in the classroom and provide field trips that go into schools. Uh, now wow. we, we do that virtually, but we, we, we were doing quite a bit of that in person run a lot of after-school clubs and programs, summer camps. Uh, so those were kind of all experiences for students. And then wow, our, our very interesting. core business transitioned. And, and as we worked through some of the research, we realized that to really have an impact and, and impact every child in Canada, because that was kind of our, our, our goal in the sky. We wanted to impact every single child in Canada. We realized quickly in Canada with public education being so prevalent that we have to work through the public education or we wanted to work through the public education system uh, rather than just a private organization uh, for parents. So we kind of offered both models. And so our, our education division is, which has now grown to be our biggest division, uh, actually delivers these solutions to ministries of education, school districts, schools to really help integrate the concepts of digital literacy, robotics, and coding into the classroom provide them with our software or hardware curriculum, but also provide the teachers with curriculum and training so that the educators can actually be the mentors and the coaches to empower their students. Because that, that was uh, one of the three key barriers that we identified during our early research with 
Um, we did some research with uh, OISI, which is the education department at, or faculty yes. at UFT, mm-hmm. um, and, and highlighted kind of what are the needs in the market. And then our, our, our and that was one of them is, is really supporting the teacher with effective curriculum and effective training, uh, not just about the gadgets or the toys or the educational products we were um, we were delivering. And then the third piece was actually came out of a, a, a need where a lot of children and parents started saying, well, this is really cool. I, I want one of these as a gift or as a toy. And, and so we then entered into the retail space. So we now have our products available in retail stores and online. So, you know, uh, partnerships with uh, Best Buy, Toys R Us, Staples, uh, Chapters, all the, 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 the Canadian uh, retailers um, to allow parents and, and children to experience these products as educational tools at home and toys at home so that that learning is not just done in the classroom, but it's a fun, engaging way at home as well. That's incredible, man. That is incredible. I want to know more about um, pursuing partnerships. But first, like, I just want to say that, that is a crazy business concept. And the fact that you guys provide this education for ages, JK to grade 12, that is correct, right? Is JK to grade 12? That's right. Yeah. Through Logics Academy, yes. it's, yeah, all kindergarten yeah, through 12. And that's incredible. Like, how, how did you guys go about putting together a curriculum that caters to all those ages? I'm sure you had to consult with educators or did you bring on educators like, or did you do it yourself? That That's so, I'm so like, I'm like rushing right now with a lot of words because I want to ask so <laughs> many questions, but uh, yeah. How did you guys get into building that curriculum? What did you, what did you do? Yeah. Uh, great question. I guess it, again, it goes back to starting with our core. We started by delivering programs for kids and then realizing that we need to provide solutions for uh for schools. And when we were delivering programs for kids, we hired a lot of teachers on staff to deliver the programs because we felt like we not only wanted to have tech folks on staff, but we wanted folks who were educators who made the learning fun for kids. Who And if we felt if we can bring on these folks who are our own staff, then we, and we needed to train them. Well, why, why can we not train every teacher in, in Canada? Why can we not support that process of professional learning for every educator in Canada? Mm-hmm. And so, um, that that was core to who we are as a team is is, is really a, a sound technical team, but also a very solid educational background team. And we brought on consultants, we brought on kind of experts who are writing the curriculum for the ministries across the across the country. Uh, so we now kind of our curriculums integrated and aligned in every province and territory in Canada, uh, and and that needed the partnerships and the relationships not only on the sales side, but actually on the development side to, to bring those folks onto the team uh, in, in, in many different forms and avenues to, to help actually develop the content. But believe it or not in Canada, and, and I don't know if, I mean, your wife's a teacher, so you might know this, curriculum yeah. and content uh, and, and education is provincially governed. So in Canada, we yeah, don't actually yeah. have a federal or a national educational council in the sense of a, a ministry of education. We have some councils that, uh, you know, converse, but we don't have a, 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 a ministry of education on the, on the national front. So every province actually writes its own curriculum expectations and documents, reviews them, renews them on a reoccurring basis for every subject, um, which is a huge task at a provincial yeah. level. And then every school board or school district takes on the, the delivery of that, meeting those expectations. Uh, so yeah. that, as a, as a tech person, that really... Uh, boggled my mind. What, you know, why does a child in in Alberta uh, or why is a child in Winnipeg need to have different expectations than a child growing up in Thunder Bay or or in Halifax or in Toronto? Yeah, for uh, sure. 
and and so we wanted to go out and try to help automate that with technology so that teachers can can see and collaborate and connect across the country with other teachers teaching the same concepts wow this is very interesting um to your partnerships how do you guys go about growing your partnerships because i'm sure you know that first time you're you're setting that first partnership whether it was the board that you did first or you know one of the retail stores that you did first your first few meetings are convincing them to buy into the product right you're convincing these people that this product is worth your time and your money and your effort whereas later on when you have a basis it's it's a whole different meeting it's more about you know informalities again i've never been in this position so i could be completely wrong so can you talk to us about the partnership process how you guys went about it and how that's changed for you over time yeah, yeah, uh, lots, lots to to share and, and talk about, and lessons learned myself over the years here. But I, I would say I think often where we start with partnerships and conversations are less about the product and and more about the outcomes and and more about what is it that we're we're trying to achieve. So you know when we look at a manufacturing side, when we were uh, you know we were designing tools and solutions and and, and robotic solutions. Uh, and, and trying to even manufacture locally and then moving to uh, remote manufacturing or overseas manufacturing uh, in China um, and then moving towards even partnerships with the manufacturers where they're, you know, we're both stakes and stakeholders at the table working together to co-manufacture products that are, are more effective. So it's, it was all really about approaching the conversation with what's what's the value and what's the goal that each person that's coming to the table with and how can we work out a solution that achieves and uh, kind of positive outcomes for both uh, rather than, you know, l- let me convince you that my solution is the best one for you, but rather how can we truly partner and, and work on something that will, will benefit both organizations and both organizations achieving their goal. And that's the same, whether we're talking about with our manufacturing facility or, or working with, uh, you know, designers or on the, on this, on the kind of working with our customers and clients. You know, when we, we approach a, a ministry uh, of education, uh, we, we look at their goals and, and we, t- we sit on the table and talk about what is it that they're, the challenges that they're facing, whether it's, uh, you know, um, employment knowledge, so knowledge capacity building in for their educators, whether it's a tech solution and looking about, uh, you know, how they, they need uh, actual solutions, whether it's curriculum, uh, that they're looking to revise and they need support on what objectives to put in there. And so once we understand that, then we can easily uh, brainstorm together an, an effective partnership that would work along the way. Mm-hmm. Cool. And um, what would you say is probably the, the biggest lesson? I, I guess that's kind of a vague question, but um, some of the biggest lessons that you've learned through this whole process of of gaining partnerships and growing the business and you know growing the exposure to you, to your business. Um, you know, there's there's a number I can think of off the top of my head, but I, I would say definitely, you know, not not everyone has your best interest at heart. I would say, and in, in, in early sure. years, uh, I I uh, I tend to be one who's very open and and sharing exactly what we're doing, how we're doing it, why we're doing it, because again, it it, it you know it came from a background of you know this is really exciting, let's all help each other out, and and uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, and I, I think I take it and, and perceive it very positively today was which is a lot of these folks were, were looking to learn more about what we're doing so that they can create, uh, you know, similar uh, organizations or whatnot. But I, I think the, the other uh, interesting thing in, in education is that, um, you know, the, the education cycle 
is, is a really fascinating one. It, you know, education takes years to develop as a system, but yet we're trying to be agile enough to empower the students to learn skills that are advancing so quickly and so rapidly. So I think one of the biggest things that we've been working on is really that change mindset of the leaders in education, which is, you know, historically, if you think about it, the, there were all these textbooks and knowledge that we were kind of translating or transmitting to the students. But today you can access that knowledge from anywhere, anytime, thanks to the internet. And and so the the idea of changing what is it that we need to do in terms of this content and curriculum so that it can move fast enough and advance fast enough with the technology and with the content and skills that we're teaching the children has become one of the most fascinating conversations to have. And, uh, and I, I really enjoy uh, learning and sitting alongside the table at at ministry level, at school board levels, where we hear uh, kind of the goals and the strategies. Uh, and, and so that's that's kind of what intrigues me these days. And I love to yeah. learn that, uh, especially in the time we're in, where, for example, Ontario just released um, kind of a, a coding curriculum for elementary in the math curriculum, uh, integrated inside the, the, the math curriculum. And, and how do you even go about implementing that in every classroom in the province? Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting, dude. And um, first off, I just want to comment on the fact that it's so evident. I don't I don't even have video on. I can't see you. I can only hear you. But it's so evident how much passion you have for what you do. Like just hearing you speak about it, it's so clear that you're in this for the right reasons. You're not in this because it's a lucrative business. Yeah, like I think that if, if I had to assume, I would say that that is a blessing that came along the path and that is a result of hard work and dedication but i don't think that that was the whole reason you know you left that day at opg the the reason you made that decision was not because you knew what you were heading into but because you had belief in what you do and a passion for what you do and i think that's very important to point out um but i want to i want to ask you one thing so over the past 10 years over you know the life of the business you guys started in 2011 so just at the beginning of the decade over the past 10 years, there have been a significant amount of technological changes, especially within the education system. I was in school in 2011. I was in grade 11. And my sister, who's five years younger than me, experienced things in school and programs in school that I never heard of. And now my wife is dealing with programs that my sister's never heard of. So we're talking about, you know, in such a short time, so many different technological advancements and procedural changes in the system how do you guys adapt to that and how do you make sure that you are you know with the times keeping up and not falling behind yeah that's a absolutely great point uh Fetty. and to be honest with you that's core to how we built our infrastructure so what we did is all of our curriculum content is number one cloud-based it's all digital and it's all has a, a full cycle of modification and changes, not only by our own curriculum team, but by all the users. So, you know, the, the idea or the inspiration is, is think uh, Wikipedia for, for curriculum. Uh, and I'm not talking about the learning outcomes, but rather the actual content so that not every teacher has to be an expert in every single uh, subject to develop that content and and so it's not as open as as wikipedia where anyone can make changes but it goes (laughs) through and and actually looks at collecting constant feedback and and has has that feedback loop from the actual user 
so that we're constantly improving, modifying. And so it's never static. It's never a textbook. It's never a PDF, uh, you know, that, that's being used, but rather it's a dynamic system of content and resources that uh, an educator can feel confident is, is developed by educators, for educators, reviewed, vetted, aligned to curriculum standards. But at the same time, they know mm-hmm. it's, it's up with the times. So I would say that's really how we've transitioned quite a bit from, you know, when we started. And I, I always say, you know, we, we, we founded early on, as I was telling you, we were pretty stagnant for a couple of years while we're working. And, and really since, since we, we, we officially launched, um, that's been our biggest uh, focus is, is really how to work through a, a dynamic system uh, that reimagines uh, support for educators, but empowers the educator rather than replace the role. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think that's it's very important because it's so easy to fall behind, especially now when you say the government itself has put such a such an importance around digital literacy and coding and robotics that there's going to be a lot of people trying to enter this market and a lot of people who, you know, are brilliant. There's a lot of brilliant people in the world, right? So if you don't do your due diligence and continue to improve, it's so easy to fall behind. And it, it's funny because it seems like with businesses, the more success a business sees, the less comfortable the business owner or the business, uh, like the, the staff in the business can be. And, and what I mean by that is, the more you grow the business, the more pressure is on you to continue growing and getting better because that can change so drastically and so fast. And we've seen it with COVID. You know, a lot of businesses who were forced to shut down for a month or two, you know, didn't survive at all. So there's a, you know, a lot of things that you have to, you know, adjust for because not everything you can plan for, you know, you, who knew that you were going to wake up tomorrow and everything would be shut down for COVID. I didn't know that. So I, I, I wish I had a crystal ball to detect the future. <laughs> you even wish I had that today. I think that would be a really neat uh, business model for, for the whole for world sure. today. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Now, Rami, I, I want to know what did, uh, what did 2011, okay. Let me reword the question. What would 2020 Rami tell 2011 Rami if he could have a conversation back in 2011, right before you're about to start this whole thing? Uh, that's uh, you're putting me on the spot here. So I, I think, uh, you know, as I think back to this, um, definitely um, one of the, the things that I think uh, most people who know me always, always embrace is first and foremost, continue to take risks. I definitely calculate risks, but I think it's important to take risks in life because most successes, most, uh, you know, most of the things that I look back to and I'm thankful for have come from uh, taking risks that I don't think I would have experienced if I hadn't pursued that. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that the second piece that um, really I, I would reflect back and, and give myself that validation is it's something that we really embrace today, even in our, our company culture, which is embracing failures as, as learning opportunities. You know, I think growing up, we always think of, you know, pass, fail. Oh, if you failed, you're doing terrible. Your, your grades dictate your, your knowledge or your dictate how well you're doing. Um, but really, when, for anyone, I'm sure this will resonate with most folks, um, failure is actually a critical step to, to growth and, and to learning. And I think it's really about a mindset. So I, I definitely would have highlighted or gone back and reemphasized that to myself as, as, as yeah. you know, younger individual. And, yeah, for sure. And lastly, I would say start early. You know, as, as 
I, I don't definitely don't regret the decisions I made and the time I made them. I think they were, you know, they brought me to where I am today and, and, and made me into, you know, taught me the skills that I'm learning today. But um, I think, you know, now that I look back at it, the, I think taking these risks earlier help you to develop uh, as, a, as a stronger person. And, and to be honest yeah. with you, I think would have taken our business to a, even a whole new level if, if they had started earlier. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And um, sorry, I, I actually meant to ask you this earlier, but I didn't. I think I forgot to mention it. But how many people were you guys when you started and how many are you now in terms of your, your staff? Yeah. Um, well, when we first started, uh, there was uh, three of us. Um, and, uh, you know, during, uh, during this year, a collection between the, the development, implementation, delivery, uh, were uh, upwards towards 50 or so uh, in, in terms between uh, full-time and, and uh, contract staff and whatnot. Uh, That's incredible, man. Yeah. So you've, you've had to put on the, uh, the human resources hat and the hiring and you got to structure an employment letter and benefits and you know, had to do that whole thing. And that's a whole different aspect of running a business. That's like, that's like the internal stuff that we don't even think about that. You just think about how am I going to get my product out? How am I going to talk to my partners? How am I going to get everything done? But you don't even realize like, Hey, I have 50 people to, to, you know, make sure that they're happy, make sure that they come into work every day wanting to work and wanting this company to succeed. Uh, can you can you talk a little bit about that and what that's been like for you guys, you know, seeing that growth and having to adjust and really becoming full on business owners? Yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned, it's skills and that you don't even think about when you when you first uh, delve right into it and you end up learning and exploring uh, needs and skills that uh, are, are necessary and, and important because at the end of the day, uh, our, our business's success and our work's success is, is significantly reliant on the fantastic team we have. So, I mean, and, and we've had to face, um, you know, up times when we had to learn how to say, you know, uh, goodbye to some folks and uh, where, where they didn't fit into the company culture um, or, or also the difficult times of losing someone on the team who you felt was a critical asset and how do you replace that skill, especially when you're a small team and, you know, that person is a huge component of the team and, and they're, mm-hmm. what they bring to the table is significant. Um, yeah. So absolutely those, those cycles and, and, you know, whether it's HR or administration or finance, all the wonderful things of, you learn along, uh, you know, that are auxiliary to operating your, the core of your business critical part of it yeah and that's the thing too like it it's very important to to keep in mind because when you become a business who has you know upwards of 50 employees people skills are extremely important you know it's because at the end of the day 50 is still quite intimate in in relation to many companies right like it's still a lot of people but there's still i'm assuming a fair share of visibility between leaders and non-leaders in a in a 50 employee company so there's still a fair bit of people skills that you need to have, you know, understanding everyone's, whether they come from families or single, you know, what their situation is and just, you know, being mindful and open to that as well. I think it's it's important to keep in mind, especially in 2020. Now everyone wants to be treated, you know, properly and is, is voicing their concerns with that. So I think it's super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, especially during this time period we're in, I think, um, Focusing on on uh, our, our our team is is really really critical. And to be honest with you, the the that when we 
focus on our team, we notice the positive impact and the agility of our team to be able to maneuver and, and, and pivot during times like this. Um, again, like I mentioned, most of our, a lot of our team members actually work across the country and live not in one area. So, you know, we don't have a central place where everyone lives yeah. and, and works, but, um, but to, I think definitely to highlight what you're saying, which is, you know, prioritizing the person uh, turns back and, and leads into much more success into the business's vision. And if, if you know, if, if we all share and embrace the goal of the company and prioritizing each other as humans and making sure to support their needs as individuals, as family members, as parents, uh, that, that turns back and, and pays much more than any uh, anything else in this world. Absolutely, man. And with that, Rami, I just want to say thank you again for your time today. I I thought I knew a little bit about the business, but you blew me away, man. I, I learned a whole lot more than I thought I would know. And um, I, I really truly believe in your business. I, I know you guys are, you know, with your growth, you're seeing that success. So I, I'm not the only one that believes in your business. So I hope, uh, you know, continued success to you guys. And again, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your journey, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me and, and uh, letting me share what uh, I know, but also thanks uh, to you for uh, hosting this. What a great initiative to let people share and explore and uh, and, and connect with our community. I, I think that's a fantastic initiative. So God bless you and, and keep your efforts going. I appreciate it, man. And if you have any ideas of people uh, you want me to, to talk to and anyone you're curious to learn about, just let me know on Instagram and I'll, I'll, I'll hound them. <laughs> Definitely will do. There's so many rock stars in, in our yes. community that uh, there's, there's no doubt, no shortage whatsoever. Absolutely. Thanks again, Rami. Enjoy the rest of your evening. You as well. Take care. Bye now. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Rami Gattas of Logics Academy and man, what a cool business. Like, and I know I mentioned this earlier, but it's so clear to see and sense Rami's passion for the business and for what they do. I think it's uh, inspiring, you know, for one, uh, to see someone who has that kind of passion and to pursue their dream and, and to be so successful at it. And, and listening to him speak about robotics and stuff, it's, it's clearly a passion in that industry, in that field, uh, super smart guy. So Rami, again, thanks so much for coming on. Um, digital literacy is very, very important. It's going to be a big part of our future. Our kids are going to be, you know, inclined to learn about it because that's just the way that the world is heading. Technology is the biggest industry right now and everyone, um, everyone uses it every day. So it's going to need to, uh, digital literacy is going to need to increase moving forward because, I mean, all of my learning came from my smartphone. I don't really know much about coding. I wish I did. I wish I got into it early, um, but I think it's a very important skill set. Uh, but with that, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say thank you again for your constant support. Uh, you know where to find me on Spotify, Listener, and Apple Podcasts. And uh, if you have any ideas and tips for people to interview, please let me know. And I will come at you all next episode. Thank you so much.